Hello, everybody. This is Noah, and welcome to Change Talk, a podcast where I have conversations with people who are thinking about change and are open to talking about it. In this week's episode, I speak with Kata. Kata is a PhD student at the Department of Ethology in Budapest, Hungary. She studies animal behavior, more specifically, the social behavior of dogs. Most parts of her life revolve around dogs, being the mom of two rescues and also working at a dog school. And she likes to share her enthusiasm with anyone who cares to listen. Her first major encounter with science communication was in 2019, when she got in the final of a Hungarian SciCom competition, Sci Indicator. The next year she applied for FameLab and became the national champion, qualifying for the international finals. Kata has a lot to do and plenty of time to do it. But each day is a battle against distractions threatening her productivity. On this week's episode, Kata discusses with me some ways to increase her productivity. And lots and lots of discussion about dogs. And while we have you here, if you like what you're hearing on this podcast, please take a moment to rate and review us on your favorite podcast platform. This can make a huge difference in expanding Change Talk's reach. And if you really like what you're hearing, consider donating to our tip jar, which can be found by following the link at the bottom of our show notes. Thanks for listening, enjoy, and may Kata's Change Talk, in some small way, inspire your own. Please note that this podcast is not therapy. Please seek professional help if needed. It's around 6.15 in the evening and I feel, you know, I had a long day at work, but overall I'm still alive and awake and alert. And I'm speaking to Kata and Kata is going to tell you where she is from. Okay, I'm from Hungary. Mm. It's almost half past uh, midnight at the moment. So I'm a bit tired. Yes, but you're here. I'm, I'm thankful for you for calling me here. I get to meet people across the world like yourself. It's pretty neat that we get to come together for a conversation. So tell us a little bit about yourself. I'm a first year PhD student of ethology, which is uh, basically the study of animal behavior. I uh, study dogs. I uh, study the behavior and the social dynamics of dogs. Uh, but it wasn't always this way. So I started out as an electrical engineer. I always wanted to be an electrical engineer since high school. And when it turned out that it wasn't really for me, I pretty much broke down and didn't know what to do with my life. So it seemed to be a good idea to adopt a dog. And now here I am studying dogs all day, every day in, my, uh, in the lab, in my free time. So you were having some sort of existential question about your life and a dog came into your life and then the dog became, your whole world became dogs. Like a Hollywood movie or something <laughs> like that. <laughs> so tell us about what about the experience that you had with your dog impacted you so much and how that made you want to go into the field of, what, what's the field? Ethology. Why isn't it called dogology? <laughs> ethology studies all kinds of animals. oh the ethology is sorry ethology is the study of animal behavior yes. right and i knew that because i took animal behavior in psychology which is <laughs> one of my favorite classes and my teacher's gonna be like why did you say that but that's okay but what's the technical word for study of dogs is there a technical word study of dogs not just behavior but dogs in uh, general it's kinology so what what was your experience like with a particular dog that led you down the path of studying dogs for life? Well, uh, she wasn't an easy dog. And uh, I had many problems with her. And at the same time, I was at a very, very dark place when I adopted her. 
So uh, around that time, I was uh, diagnosed with bipolar 2, and I had a major depressive episode. So I had to work really, really hard on myself and with her. And I became more and more curious about her. Why, why is she like this? Why she does the things she do? And uh, there's still an engineer living inside of me. So uh, I really want to understand how things work. And I didn't feel the need that I would really like to take her apart to see the working parts of her. <laughs> so I tried to find another way to understand her behavior. What was the impact of the dog on your mental health? Actually, for the first year, it was a struggle. It was love at first sight. The, the affection was there. The attachment was there. But, uh, but I, I had a very hard time dealing with her mischiefs and stuff like that. I went to dog school. I also became a dog trainer there, uh, but, but it was a lot of work and a lot of responsibility because when you have a dog, you are also responsible for, for its behavior. Actually, it gave some structure to my days because I had to wake up every morning, take her to a walk. I had to take her to the dog school every weekend. I had to practice with her. I had to train with her. And, uh, and I think that this really helped me to find myself. It, it really helped me to get my stuff together and start again. This very particular dog, the best dog in the world. She was the best dog in the world. The best course. in the world. Yeah. You had a heartfelt connection with this dog. It reconnected you to a sense of love, but also uh, a sense of responsibility to get up, especially when you're going through a major depressive episode. Part of the struggle that people have is doing their basic functions, living their basic life. And having a dog helped you gain a sense of mastery about your day in some way. Yeah, absolutely. So it was two things. So you fell in love with this dog, the best dog in the world. But a lot of people have that experience and then don't go study dogs for their life. So what happened? Yeah, but, you know, I also was at a turning point in my life when I had to decide what to do with my life because my previous plan just failed. So there was the inspiration right in front of me. But of course, when I went to the dog school with her and did uh, my, I don't know, dog trainer certificate or something like that, uh, I got to know other dogs as well. And they were all different. They, they, they all had their personalities and uh, backgrounds. And of course, my dog still, still was the best dog in the world, but all other dogs became pretty interesting to me as well. And, and right now, I think I love all dogs in the world. You couldn't put a dog in front of me and uh, for me to say, I don't love that dog. I love all the dogs. Of course, I love my dogs the most, but I love all dogs. <laughs> so then what happened? So just work us through the process of going from a dog owner to dog training to the study of dogs. I became involved in, uh, in rescue. Also, it's pretty interesting because most people in ethology uh, does not come from dogs, but uh, from biology or from psychology. Of course, I had to uh, do my bachelor's and master's in biology to, to become an ethologist. But uh, the first ethologists all came to ethology because they were interested in humans, in the, in the evolution of human behavior. And I was not interested in that at all. <laughs> but studying more and more about the behavior of dogs, I became more and more interested in the behavior of humans and, uh, and the analogies between our behaviors and our journey together with dogs. So, so I, I really came from the other way around uh, than most people. What can you teach me about a dog that like, I would be interested in what what have you learned about dogs and by extension human beings well i could talk about what i learned about dogs more than one and a half an hour but <laughs> i would try to keep it short uh it's pretty interesting uh 
how dogs are just uh, predisposed to be attached to us, to follow our communic communicative signals, to, to listen to our voices, to know when we are talking to them and when we are not talking to them. So just like babies, just like human babies, they know ostensive cues. I don't know how to say it in more plain words, like when you, when you tell an infant that, hey, baby, it's me, look at me. And then the baby knows that you are talking to them and you are telling something important to them. And dogs also know these cues. And I think that this is amazing. It is amazing. But you know, dogs are around people all the time. So if they would pay attention to every word you say, in every tone you say, then they would go crazy. They have to know when you are talking to them. And also it's pretty interesting how dogs know the difference between if they are communicating with another dog or a human being. So contrary to popular belief, Dogs do not think that we are strange, hairless, two-legged dogs. They know that we are different. And uh, they don't try to fit us in their own little social uh, groups. So if you have multiple dogs, like me, I have right now two dogs, there, there, is, there is the group that the two dogs make up and there is, there is the bigger group, the family where the humans are included. So dogs, dogs understand, first of all, know when we're talking to them and know that we're talking to them especially, but they also don't just look at us as other dogs. There's something about us that is different. First of all, what are the implications of this? And, and what are you, in terms of your research, what you're studying, your interest, what are you trying to learn, prove, discover? My research is uh, the social dynamics between cohabiting dogs, family dogs. In, uh, it's important because most dogs in the world are not family dogs. There are more free-ranging dogs than family dogs. I'm uh, particularly interested in the dog-dog group, so not the dog-human group, but also uh, how certain properties of this social dynamic uh, affect their relationship with their owners as well. So learning from the owner, uh, paying attention to the owner. It's pretty, pretty interesting because there was a research by my uh, supervisor previously on how dominant or subordinate dogs in their dog-dog groups, dominant or subordinate ones, uh, learn from humans. And it turned out that the dog who is in his dog group is a dominant one, learns better from humans, but... The subordinate one from that uh, group learns better from unfamiliar dogs than the dominant one. So, so I think that this social learning thing is also pretty interesting. What is the history of dogs as pets with humans? Like, is it long, 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 like, like thousands of years, like tens of thousands of years? Tens of thousands. Tens of the, thousands. Yeah, the latest article came out, I think, this week or last week, where they found evidence that uh, dogs were domesticated as early as 23,000 years ago. But why? Like, why do dogs and humans get along the way they do? And has, they, has it always when been... they shouldn't! I just want to understand the history of this. Like, enlighten me a little bit. Uh, the history is not absolutely completely clear. Okay. But it most likely started with a so-called self-domestication. So some populations of ancient wolves uh, became less fearful and more friendly towards humans because humans had a lot of waste around their camps and they could feed on this on these waste. And then humans realized that, hmm, these things warn us when something comes close to our camps. Because so, they have senses? Like, why do they, do they hear things? Like, tell they, me about they that. They hear better. They smell better. They run faster. So, yeah. And uh, also, there's a, there's a theory about humans called biophilia. I don't know if you heard about this. 
but it means that uh, humans really like to surround themselves with living things. We like to be close to animals and plants. Okay, plants die in my house, but normal people like to be surrounded by plants as well. You so, don't like plants, okay. <laughs> so as long as they are not a threat and not eating the food that we want to eat, we are actually happy that these wolf-like plants things are around us. So the first step was the self-domestication. Then came the, the man-made domestication step. When we started to actually call them closer to us, actually started to select them, which means if someone was a bit more aggressive, then how to say it nicely, they couldn't reproduce. Let's say it that way. So, so this, this was the start. There are a lot of things we don't know about these times. But we actually know that when we then domesticated the first animals around 10,000 years ago after dogs, dogs were already there and already had roles in our societies. But it became very specialized. What we've done with dogs, with selective breeding and all this stuff, like we've impacted dogs so much right like it's crazy yeah but uh selective breeding at first was not like it is today so now we select more for looks yeah. than for task so right that, that's another thing but basically it's fair to say that dogs and humans have been best friends for a long time basically for a very, very long time. And at the beginning, and you could say it in, in a certain level, but at the beginning, it was more about the levels of protection that they could provide uh, potentially. Maybe it wasn't as much for companionship at the time, but you then you said that it was kind of was, so. Yeah, it, it kind of was. So there are pretty early thousands of years old uh, burial places where there are dogs buried with people so there was there was this attachment the two the two main things that the dogs provide is some sort of protection and attachment is there something that we give dogs that they don't feel with other dogs in terms of love actually i don't know how ancient dogs felt but today puppies many times prefer humans instead of other puppies That's so, crazy. So we're getting a landscape here that this is an ancient relationship, one of love and protection. Um, I have a lot more that I'm trying to understand of this, but just tell me, you know, in a nutshell, what, what it means to you, what dogs really mean to you? Well, I have my job, <laughs> my research, so it's a pretty big impact. Pretty much eats up my free time. And they also teach other people about dogs. And I think that people are really interested in this. So it's not just my own stupid thing that I like dogs. Right. Uh, so, uh, oh yeah. And also I only moved out of the city to have a big garden for my dogs. <laughs> so dogs are just everywhere for you. And, How has that impacted? How do you feel about humans? I still, I still like humans. Actually, as I, as I said before, my interest in humans just increased as I learned about dogs. Right. But mostly I'm surrounded by humans who also like dogs. <laughs> Got it. So thank you for sharing some of this stuff about dogs. I, I'm sure people probably wanted me to ask more things. I just don't even know where... My interest is, of course, in the attachment or connection we build. Um, maybe the last question I just want to ask is, is there a way to measure a dog's love? For a long time, uh, they said that emotions are only human and we don't talk about animal emotions. But in the past few de decades, we started to freely talk about animal emotions and we found that at least the basic emotions are pretty similar in animals and not just in the brain, but also in facial expressions. So dogs have facial expressions for emotions pretty similar to, to humans. 
Like they smile? Kind of? Actually, yes. They 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 smile. Uh but little children usually don't know if the dog is smiling or tra- or trying to bite them. So <laughs> it's not that easy, but they have pretty clear facial expressions of right. emotions. And is it true that wagging the tail equals happy? No. Okay. So that's a myth. <laughs> so what is wagging the tail? Wagging the tail can be many things, right. mostly excitement. But, you know, the dog can wag its tail high up or middle or low. It can be big and loose wags or it can be really tense, small wags. So <laughs> it's not the same. And they all mean different things. Yeah. And my, my other question is, like, why do dogs bark or why are they barking at me? Um, what does it mean? Which dogs and when? Oh, so... my God. <laughs> I'm trying to get you to do sound bites and you're like, you can't do that. This is way co- more complicated than that, right? Yes, it is. <laughs> but, but do they like detect my fear? In a neighborhood a and dogs behind fences bark at you, it's most likely territoriality and has nothing to do with your fear. Okay. But if I'm feeling fear, right? Physiologically, my heart rate is increasing. I'm feeling afraid. Are dogs detecting my subtle emotional moves? Most likely, yes. They have very sensitive noses and we all know the smell of fear. What is the smell of fear? The smell of fear is sweat. (laughs) Wow. So dogs smell. If I just get afraid for a second, though, I'm not sweating. You think dogs can detect a sense? You still release pheromones. That is crazy. But they, but they also sense the subtle motions you make, even unconsciously. So, uh, yeah, they, of course, sense that you are in a, let's say, negative emotional state. But they don't want to attack you because you are afraid. Most likely, the dog who is barking at you, I would say, I don't know, 90 plus percent of the time, that dog who is barking at you, just want to be as far away from you as you want to be from it. Okay. So the barking is just, you stay away from me. I'm not going to attack you. I just want you to stay away from me. Yeah. Okay. And what about wolves? I'm not as knowledgeable in wolves as in dogs. (laughs) Okay. But uh, today's wolves are very, very different from the wolves that dogs evolved from. And it's Partly also because of our selective breeding. Because, well, we killed all the wolves that came close to us. Right. The the wolves that are left are like really afraid of humans, a lot of them. Yeah, and really try to avoid humans. And if they cannot, then they will most likely fear for their lives and attack. So basically, we are afraid of wolves, I think, because they ate our livestock they i don't know maybe attacked some children but it was very very long time ago and basically we killed almost all wolves wow they are also very interesting and there are hand uh, reared wolves and there are comparative studies with hand reared wolves and dogs and we found a lot of differences but also a lot of similarities so wolves if reared from like right from birth by hand, they can develop very strong attachment to their caregivers, for example. But it has to be cemented early on. They have to be exposed yes. to human beings at an early they, they age. Have, they have a very, very small window to right. when, when they are very young. Right. Okay. The I, I'm telling you, I'm really almost done with the questions, but what is this thing that I've heard about people, if they have, God forbid, are sick or something, do dogs have a detection of like, Illnesses. Dogs are actively used in detecting illnesses. What does that mean? There are, for I think for years now, cancer detecting dogs. What What are they doing? How did they detect Smelling. It? Smelling. Yes. And, Something uh, smells right off. Now, and in Finland, there are COVID detecting dogs. Yeah. You I, just, I, just don't, I just don't get it. 
like what are they det- is it because there's a certain smell that we don't smell that they smell that tells you yes, danger and danger, we don't danger. Know, and we don't know what exactly that smell is so we don't know what it is exactly but they actually smell it and they have a very 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 good success rate i think that their success rate is uh, almost as good as the pcr test so <laughs> Yeah, they only did it in laboratory conditions, so in controlled rooms. But, but as far as I know, they plan to, to try these dogs in airports and stuff like that. You know, when you don't have the time to wait for a PCR test. Wow. So there's something special about dogs. I'll tell you that is what I've learned. And the mystery continues. I hope you can recommend us some, a book or a documentary that you think is awesome? I think at a book that everyone who is interested in canine cognition should read is uh, The Genius Dog. I think that is the English title by mm-hmm. Brian Hare and Vanessa Woods. And maybe anything by Alexandra Horowitz. So our last uh, question before the change talk is just tell me about maybe the most meaningful, most beautiful moment that you have shared with a dog in your life? Doesn't it be the most, just a, a meaningful one of some kind? Yeah, because the most is, is impossible. I, I think that, okay, it's a funny one, but, but I think it's actually meaningful. Okay. My dog was really afraid of water. She couldn't swim until she was six years old. And me and my best friend went down to the river with my dog we wanted to teach her to swim and she didn't want to of course so we just sat down and uh, the water and, and the wave came and took away my friend's shoe and we ran just up and down and tried to follow the shoe and get the shoe and my dog ran up and down with us and once she just ran in the water she couldn't get the shoe and she ran out immediately but this was the first time she she went in the water by herself because she knew that it was important for us and then a guy came with a very long stick and somehow got the shoe but that's not important so for some reason that's touching that the dog like cares enough about this person's shoe i i think she cared about the thing that we cared about it so she she somehow saw that it was important for us so the dog just went and faced faced her fear of yeah. the water in order to help you and your friend yeah. cool what's or your maybe do- to take part in this fun activity we are doing <laughs> running up and down <laughs> <laughs> yeah but but the, but she went in yeah and uh, and what is uh, what is your dog's name what are your dog's names right now uh my first dog, this dog was Kami. She uh, unfortunately passed in 2018. Mm. Uh, she, had a, she had a brain tumor. And now I have Doro and Abrand, both rescues. Doro is a Rottweiler. She was found on the streets. And uh, Abrand is a mongrel. Uh, and uh, he was rescued from uh, his owner who tried to uh, kill him with an axe. Oh my gosh. Okay, so you're basically taking these dogs and just doing your best to bring them into a better life, hopefully. At the same time, they are also giving me a better life. Oh, 100%. I'm not pretending that there's not an exchange there. And I'm sorry to hear about your first dog and now you have two more dogs and dogs are everywhere for you. And uh, thank you so much for sharing some of it and... I hope to check out the resources that you mentioned to everybody. So thank you. And let's talk about change. What is on your mind? Well, for some years now, start to feel again that I really cannot organize my life and structure my days, even though I have my dogs with me. But now it's easier because I have a garden. So (laughs) I don't have to wake up to take them for a walk. And also, okay, maybe it's, the COVID situation made it worse, but but I feel like my days are just happening and just flowing and I don't really have uh, control uh, over them. And while I was doing my master's degree, it was a bit easier because I had this 
outside help that I had classes to go to and I had also a schedule for my part-time job. I had to be there. Uh, and now that I should do all, all this by myself, I just feel like I'm not able to. Uh, of course, I buy these fancy planners and calendar stuff and I try to write what I have to do and things like that. But all these only last till the first unforeseeable task or the first bad or lazy day. So, <laughs> Right. You've done a lot of different attempts of different things over, over the last little bit. So talk to me about, so talk to me about a disorganized day. Like what is really a problem for you? Tell me about the day and how it's becoming sort of a flowy day. What, what's happening? So, yeah. Uh, so now there's COVID there's home office for us as well. And, uh, uh, now I don't have uh, experiments at the lab, so I completely work from my computer. Too much freedom, too much freedom. Mm. So I set my alarm, I wake up, I drink my coffee. I try to think about what I have to do this day, but then I have to watch at least three YouTube videos. They're very important. Yeah, of course. Uh, I let the dogs out. Sometimes I go out to play fetch with them. Then, of course, a lot of messages come in on Messenger, which are all more important than my emails. Of course. And uh, I should uh, make a website for a questionnaire, which I really don't like to do. And also my boyfriend helps me with that. So I really have to wait for him to come home from work to help me. So I can't work with that. Yeah, I have to write a manuscript, but I don't really have the inspirations. So the whole day just goes by with like, I don't know, writing one important email and doing nothing. And then around 6 p.m., I start to feel some sort of motivation to do things. And and I start to, I don't know, just trying to do everything in a very, very, very small amount of time because then, oh, it's time for dinner. Oh, it's end of the day. <laughs> <laughs> right. So it's sort of, and again, what's so interesting about today's day and age is you can kind of do, have a day where you feel like, you know, the day passes and you could be doing things all the time, but you're not really doing anything. Like you, you know, you message, yes. you answer like 10 messages or you send a few emails. Um, you look at that thing, you outline this little thing, you do little things, but then nothing accumulates. Like nothing really happens. Yeah. And I'm, I don't know how I do this, but, but I'm absolutely not productive, but never miss a deadline. So, right, so right. Some, somehow I, I do the, the minimum amount of work to not miss a, a, an important deadline ever. Right. It's not like you're, you know, a terrible work, working, like a, a, a terrible colleague or, you know, you're, you're missing deadlines that people need things from you. You're doing whatever it is somehow. And I think a lot of people have that sense, especially people in school. It's like, I could be doing way more than I am, but somehow I'm doing it all. Um, but I'm not really doing it the way that I could be doing it. It could be way better than it is. Yeah, because if if I don't do it in a productive way, then actually I have less free time because I, I play less with my dogs outside because I'm still sitting here and trying to write that one email and stuff like that. So, yeah. And people, you know, this is a tough thing for people. And, and of course... Um, I got to get him on the podcast. Uh, I say this every episode. Atara, my wife, will edit this out. But but Cal Newport, uh, he's about a person who wrote a book called Digital Minimalism. And uh, he his new book coming out is called The World Without Email. And his book in 2016 was called Deep Work. And basically, the main premise right now that he's big on just overall is that people don't do a lot of deep work. We do shallow work. We do emails, we do this, we do that, but we don't get into deep work, which is focused work without distraction, where we're, 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 our energy and our attention is in one area. And because we don't do that, we're so scattered and we end up having less time. If we, had, if we did like a deep work focus, we could get done the things we wanted to get done and then have the free time. But instead, people, what they do is they make themselves subtly busy all the time 
way less productive, and then they don't really have free time, even though they're kind of choosing not to have free time. Does that make any sense? Absolutely. Absolutely. Hashtag my life. (laughs) (laughs) Gosh, totally. It's a, it's a, it's a very student life. It's a very student life. Um, So first of all, you've been doing this for a long time. You're a PhD student. Okay. So you like, you've been in school for a long time, right? Uh, Yeah. And, and a bit more time. So, so you've kind of went through the routine that there's you get things done somehow, but you know, you could have way more free time. You could have a better day, a better life in that sense. So what about this sort of vague, unproductive routine? How does that make your life better? <laughs> it, it doesn't make my life better. It makes my life worse. Well, ha- but, but hold on. What if you had to sit and focus, even though you weren't motivated? You know, yeah, that would be. I painful. cannot do that. You well, you can, you literally can, but you can't. You feel you can't. But let's say you, you know, if you had to do that, it would be painful, right? Yeah, and I don't think it would be productive to stay focused on a white sheet where I should write my manuscript when nothing comes to my mind. Well, that I will fight you with for a long time, and I won't do that here. But I, but. But from what I understand, uh, it may be cliche, but you have to make the space. Like you can't just wait for motivation to strike when you have it. That's great. But you have to have a commitment to the process. And the more you open it up, the more you sit there and start doing it, it will take on its power through the focus. Um, Instead of waiting until the power comes to your brain, you sit there and create the environment and the space and the time, and it will more likely come by your focused attention there. I heard this, I think, before. It's a rumor, right? And, and, someti- and sometimes it works. Sometimes. Right. Sometimes I, I have incredibly productive days when, when I can do this, when, when, when I can just sit down and if, I, if nothing comes to my mind for, for half an hour, it's okay because after that, some, somehow it will happen but it's very rare and I don't know how other people do it because I saw other people do it and I don't understand how. Totally. And some people, um, either they just force themselves to type and see what happens. Or I use sometimes voice to text, which transcribes my words, gets the, gets the screen, the, 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 I have an article about this. There's a few articles actually um, I don't mean to promote my own stuff, but there are a few articles that I've written, one on writing procrastination um, and the using voice to text and the other one on organizing a calendar and its do list. I have a system that I use that is very, very easy to follow. So you can check those out. I'll link them to you. Um, but for now, this is not what Change Talk is about. So the reason why I said to you, you know, it would be painful if you actually had to sit there and focus is because you could make the argument that by not focusing, by having these kind of days, you avoid the pain of having to focus. Yeah, maybe. Well, there's got to be a reason why it benefits you. There's a reason why you're doing it. Maybe because, you know, everything goes in the way of the least resistance. And watching that YouTube video is the least resistance. It's easier. Life is easier. But at the same time, it's harder. Because I feel worse at the end of the day. And my dogs are less trained at the end of the day. Right. And I'm going to come back to that. We're going to talk about all of that. But I just want to focus you on the fact that right now, you've already said that part of the reason why you do this, this unproductive kind of vague day in a way is because there's a lot lower hanging fruits. There's some lower hanging pleasures that you can grab and it's easier and less uncomfortable. Yeah. Yeah. Those little, I don't know, instantaneous dopamine spikes. On demand. Yeah. It's nice. It's nice. It's uh, so you clearly have, clearly there are some things that it does to make your life better, even if it's only in the short term. Yeah. 
Yeah. If we put it this way, yeah. <laughs> not sure. I'm not sure because because when I have those productive days, you know, I feel so good, so good. And even though, yeah, it's easier to watch the YouTube videos and there there's this immediate reward in that, I still feel the need for that good feeling the whole day. So it's not just I feel bad at the end of the day that I was not productive and and I and I really hate myself for it, but I feel it throughout the whole day. Like the whole day you feel bad about it. Yeah, and I'm still doing it. You're still doing it. And you still <laughs> feel terrible about it. Yeah. Right. Maybe I like to feel terrible. Maybe you're used to feeling terrible. Yeah, maybe it's the baseline. <laughs> <laughs> but either way, I'm so you have made it clear and some people spend more time on it. So we are moving into the change talk part. You are talking about change. You want to make a change, basically. Um, you've already identified that you don't like that you do this. It makes you feel terrible about yourself both during the day and after the day. So there's the reflective piece later that you don't like. And there's also during the day, you're like, this is, I, even though you're getting some pleasure, you're also like, this sucks. This is, this is silly. Why am I doing this? Absolutely. Yeah. So it makes you feel bad in the moment and it makes you feel bad later. Um, and when you do it properly, you feel amazing is what you said. Yeah. So tell me about that amazingness. What do you feel like? Tell me about one of these days that you were very productive. What was that like? Actually, I don't think that I work more hours, of course. But but when I'm done with something, or, or at least partially done with something, which I really, really worked hard with, then, then I feel like that, yes, this is why I went to PhD. Yes, this is why I'm doing my research. Yes, I deserve to be here in this PhD program, because other days I don't feel like I deserve this. So it's, it's just, there's so much validation and sense of purpose and meaning and synergy. Like this is the real stuff. This is great. I'm doing such good stuff. I'm so happy about what I'm doing. It makes me feel good that I'm in the right program. I'm in the right place. Life is good. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and obviously that's really like to have that sense of I'm in the right place, doing the right thing. And this is meaningful. That's like such a human need that we all have. Is that what dog, do dogs need that? I'm not sure. I think that there are debates about uh, if dogs can feel pride about yeah. their accomplishments or <laughs> they are just happy with their owners. <laughs> or yeah, or just happy in the moment for, yeah. but anyway, that was just a silly thing. So basically life would be, you would feel more fulfilled in many respects if you did this and just feel better about yourself overall. Is there anything that else that sticks out that would say like, this is why I want to get better in this area? How else would life be better for you? Actually, I would have more time for my dogs who I love. I would have more time for the dog school with my friends uh, that we just started a few months ago. And I and I really, really feel bad because I don't put enough work in that because that's just a side hustle for me, just a hobby. And uh, also, I want to be a good researcher. I know it sounds stupid, but I, I was raised to believe that I'm a smart person. And it's really, really part of, of myself that I that I'm a smart person and I and I really want to prove it to myself every day. Right. That's not that's makes a lot of sense. So you basically have, I mean, you already you just mentioned, so it would make you feel really good about yourself and your day. Not only that, you would have time for really for dogs. <laughs> you would have time <laughs> for the dog. <laughs> you would have time for the dogs. And by extension, time for people in your life that you share the dog passion with, the dog training, all this stuff that you are neglecting because of your supposed busyness that's not really as busy as it needs to be. You could be really fitting this stuff in, really powerful stuff. And then you start to calculate. Let's say I did this dog thing for half an hour a day. I invested my brain 
on this dog training project or anything, you multiply that by five days a week. You multiply that, but you're, you're talking lots of hours that you could be doing um, to contribute to this important, meaningful cause that you are involved in. And you're saying, I'm going to feel like I have this sense of identity that I'm a smart person and I don't want to lose that. Like, I want to be a good researcher. Yeah. That's huge. That makes like, that's totally, that's huge that you, that you feel that way and you want to, you want to access that. So it's already, you've already mentioned, it's going to help you personally, professionally, socially in terms of hobbies. Is there anything else? Is there anything else to life than that? <laughs> so that's big. You've, you've talked about this one thing and this one thing has a, has a lot of implications in your life. So instead of creating an on and off switch with this, what is one thing that you can do right now to make this broader, bigger change that you want to make more real for you? My immediate reply would be that go to sleep to be able to wake up in the morning. But of course, that's not an option now. <laughs> oh my God. Uh, maybe plan my day tomorrow. I don't know. I'm, no, I'm, I'm talking about one thing. No, no, I won't take that. You're too smart. <laughs> okay. One thing, not that you'll do tomorrow, but one thing regularly that you want to start doing that represents this bigger, broader goal. So it may be that you make sure to play with your, like, here's the cool thing is that when you start to do your hobbies and other things and you make those a priority, then you won't, you'll steal that time. It will be there. You won't then all of a sudden miss your deadlines. It's really cool. Like you'll still be the same level of productive, but you'll also have this other thing that you didn't, that magically there wasn't enough time for, there will be a time for. So there's basically things that you can insert into your schedule that, so you can do two things. One is like, either you can do deep work, like create some focused time each day where you're really focused, whether it's half an hour where there's no YouTube, there's a whole bunch of things you can do like that, but there's also the opportunity to add something in the hobby zone that you like to do and commit to doing it, even if you're busy so that you'll start to implement that into your life on a regular basis. This makes sense. And I never thought about this this way that, that I could actually, I don't know, schedule training my dogs or playing with my dogs in my day. Because it was all always the thing that if I have, I don't know, five minutes or 10 minutes, then I will go out and play with them. And if I don't have those 10 minutes, then I, I won't. They will be still happy to cuddle with me uh, at the sofa. So, yeah, maybe, maybe if if I start to make it like a morning part of the morning routine to go out with my dogs and not just let them out the door to do do their thing. Yes, I think that could help a lot. Yes, I'm. I agree. And I want, I would, I was so excited for you to do that. Um, and then to realize, and the reason why it helps also is just, you'll get that time. It'll be there, but then you'll also like, see how you can actually make these changes. Even if it's a small one, how right now you're just letting them out the door. So what do you want to do a little bit differently? What can you commit to, to do with your dogs? Well, it's the morning. And I'm very tired in the morning. And I still didn't drink my coffee, but they need to go out. So what I can do is, as a first step, just take my coffee out with me. And even if I can't run around with my dogs or play fetch because I have the coffee in my hand, I could just drink my coffee outside together with my dogs, maybe walking around in the garden. I love and it. Be happy for them. <laughs> and maybe you'll even put your coffee on the ground for 10 seconds and chase the dogs for a bit. <laughs> or, pay, or, or maybe just throw a ball. Just throw a ball. Yeah. They really but like to play fetch. So perfect. That's perfect. 
All you have to do is open the door and walk out the door with your dogs, with your coffee in your hand. And that's all you've committed to. Okay. For what? Like five, 10 minutes? Around 10 minutes. Yeah. 10 minutes. Okay. So you've decided and you're open to them. We do, we do follow-ups and checkups. So we're going to ask you about it. You've decided that you want to today. You have this bigger sense that you're, you're not as organized and as productive as you want to be both in your program and in living your life and doing the things that matter to you. So we've decided we're going to focus on one thing, which is of course to do with dogs, which is to get you outside with your dogs in the morning for 10 minutes with your cup of coffee in your hand. And maybe just maybe you're going to throw uh, and do some fetch. Yeah. How does that sound to you? Doesn't sound that hard to do. And actually sounds very nice. Maybe sounds better than watching a YouTube video with my coffee. So <laughs> yes. Right. So and it's and it's it's an opportunity to build that relationship with your dogs to remember that that is like a part of a big part of your life and to get outside, which is important, especially in the pandemic. And uh, and hopefully it will help you realize that there's other things you could probably do as well. And I'm going to recommend to you a bunch of little articles I wrote um, and you can laugh at them and whatever, but if they work, I'm, that'd be awesome too. But you've decided that's a small step in the, in, in the direction that you want to go. And I will read your articles. Okay, I cool. I'm planning to read, your articles, <laughs> but I'm Thank not too good at planning, you know. <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe I, I'll take the place of a, of a YouTube video uh, once in a while. Okay, so that I think that I think you've found a good place for now. And I hope that slowly but surely you start to become more productive. You start to make your own motivation as opposed to waiting for the feeling of motivation. And that you continue to make time for the things that matter, like dogs and your research. And the other thing that you were talking about with dog training, lots of dog stuff. Oh, I also played a ukulele, so not, so not all everything is dogs. Hey, ukulele. I have a ukulele. That's the only instrument I have, but I haven't committed enough to it. Um, but thank you so much for your time, for sharing with us a little bit about the secret world of dogs and for hopefully your change talk can in some small way inspire other people. Thank you for having me. Don't forget to follow us on social media to keep updated on all our content. We are at Change Talk Podcast on Instagram and Facebook and at Change Talk Pod on Twitter. Editing for this podcast is done by the lovely Atara Shields Tile. Music and theme song by Hope and Social in their album Yorkshire Electric EP with the song People Change.